You're listening to the Smart Arts Podcast, presented by Richard Watts. You can listen to Smart Arts every Thursday morning from 9am to 12pm here on Triple R. bit cold out there. I hope you're snuggled in somewhere warm, whether you're still in bed, if you are, lucky you, uh, whether you're at work, whether you're in the kitchen, the lounge room, in the car, wherever you may be, hope it's a warm morning for you so far and that it continues to be uh, a good day. Hello, Richard Watts with you here with another edition of Smart Arts, taking you through until midday today here on Triple R 102.7 on your FM dial. Uh, Ace Wagstaff will be joining us at 9.30 for our Art Attack segment. Uh, Ty, not with us this morning, she had an ex exhibition opening last night, so uh, I'm suspecting is resting up after no doubt a very hectic week leading up to a very busy night last night. Uh, we're going to find out what Taz Dance are up to, Tasmania's professional dance company. They're touring Victoria, and we're going to chat to the artistic director of Taz Dance, Annie Grieg, a little bit later on about Luminous Flux their double bill. We're also going to find out uh, about Functional and what they've been up to. Functional, uh, a a dance theatre company that make art that explores issues around conflict and social justice. Uh, And they've got some films that are screening at ACME uh, as part of uh, a program called Calling the Shots. So we'll be chatting to the Artistic Director of Functional a little bit later on this morning. There's another festival happening later in the year called Poppy Seed Festival, which has just been launched. It's a theatre festival that's going to be presenting work at Trades Hall, the Butterfly Club and 45 Downstairs. So uh, the festival director of Poppy Seed, Philip Hayden, will be joining me on the show at 11am today. And because Cerise Howard is still overseas, jaunting around Europe as is her want, looking for films for the Czech and Slovak Film Festival, of which she is artistic director, Uh, Maurice will not be talking film with us on the show today. Instead, we're going to be at 11.30. We're going to be chatting theatre, a double bill called Bright, Shiny and Green Night on at the La Mama Courthouse. So that's a little bit later on in the show today. Is our fortnightly visual arts review segment. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by the intrepid Ace Wagstaff, uh, flying solo today. Intrepid, I like that. And if you're a horse, I I want to be a part of this. Is I would like to be a horse also. Christian okay. uh, Child, the comedian, uh, suddenly <laughs> is also a horse. Well, she had some <laughs> some com- some horse-related comedy uh, at the the Melbourne International Comedy Festival several years ago that reduced yep. me to shrieking hysterical laughter to the point where people sitting around me were turning around to stare at me. And if you haven't seen it before, I highly suggest you look it up on YouTube. Um, I did, during the festival, this is a little bit off track from visual arts, but during the festival I did mention that she was a horse on a public, you know, comedy internet forum and um, got just bombarded with abuse of people that weren't familiar with that skit, um, obviously taking it as an anti-feminist, misogynist commentary on beauty, and but it, it wasn't. Christian, she really is a horse. Christian Charles is a horse. Yes. Yep. Um, Look, but go, go to back YouTube. to visual arts. Look that up. <laughs> yes. Well, comedy can be visual. It can be, especially if you're a horse. Um, um, but I've went out and there's there's a lot of painting and uh, sculptures, ceramics on at the moment. Uh, and I'm really interested, before I get into anything specifically, really interested in um, a particular style which I think is evolving uh, across both mediums, particularly more so in, in painting because I guess it's more common and therefore uh, more widespread. But this... This system of using provisional mark making almost en masse and in these uh, larger formalist kind of compositional frameworks, which is really interesting. Yes. Provisional mark making? Yeah, yeah. Well, provisional painting was this essay written in Art in America. And, you know, it's, it's incredibly boring and dry if you're not interested in such things. And even if you are sometimes, but you can find it again on the internet. Um, I don't think there's a YouTube link, so don't be too lazy. You might have to use your eyeballs and do some reading. But it's about these paintings that have kind of been coming about since the turn of the century, which look kind of happenstance and random, will feature big kind of splatter marks, 
um, but will be intensely laboured over and, uh, you know, the artist will do so many, uh, you know, rough drafts of rough drafts. Um, and, yeah, what, what I've noticed lately, and I think the real kicker has been just before this recent suite of shows that's on at the moment at uh, Stephen McLaughlin Gallery, which I'll speak about in a moment, and a Pappas Gallery, uh, David Ray's work specifically with his show Trickster that's on, and Michelle Osser at Station Gallery. Um, at Fort Delta last month, Julian Hocking and Raffaella McDonald both had individual exhibitions in both of those gallery spaces, uh, Paintings for Performances by Raffaella and Planes, Trains and Automobiles by Julian Hocking. And they kind of both employed this similar technique of these, uh, you know, energetic marks, pardon me, uh, energetic marks, uh, almost instinctual in, in their execution or at least that's what it reads on on the surface of the work after the fact uh but within these formalist frameworks so either gridded up with on the picture plane or highly formalist composed on the uh, on the surface of the object which is an interesting combination trying to put the random and the chaotic within something organized and structured and composed uh but this this month there's been a whole suite of shows across different galleries over melbourne that also feature work of a similar vein and of course not just in the two-dimensional or, or on the picture plane like Raffaella and julian but also in uh sculpture um most notably at Stephen McLaughlin Gallery. I think we spoke about the, a show last year there. And just for listeners, it's up in the Nicholas Building, uh, Level 8, Room 16. And that's on 37 Swanston Street. On the corner of Flinders Lane. Beautiful building. Oh, amazing building. Uh, Yes, so he's he's a painter, Anselm Van Rood. The exhibition's Colour, Light and Silence. It's on for another uh, roughly two weeks until May 16. But what he's the subject matter of his painting is almost inconsequential i'll say this just because we're looking at the way that he's painting uh so there's a couple of landscapes a couple of still lifes in the studio a couple of studio views and a nude but what's striking is that they all kind of break down the image in front of the viewer in front of the artist into these really uh clean crisp shapes that almost have a collage-like effect, collaging with paint rather than, than paper, obviously, and putting down things. So your landscape of St Kilda, the tram tracks and the palm trees, the horizon, nice little uh, dots and, and, and burbs for um, shrubs, becomes this still life where it could automatically be bottles on a, on a, on a tabletop and bowls and the pattern of the, the surface of the table. And there's, similarly with his bookshelves. Yep. I was just going to say, there's an example of one of those paintings uh, online at stephenmclaughlingallery.com.au. Mm. That's Stephen with a P-H, uh, McLaughlin, M-C-L-A-U-G. And it's beautifully documented online. But um, And something that the online images don't give away is, is just how... Um, just how tangential some of those that application of paint is so some of those solid shapes when you get up nice and close to them even from a distance for some of them uh, are, are not very solid at all they kind of hover and float and have either been loosely applied very watered down or you know rubbed back with a cloth or uh, perhaps the artist's hand so there's this constant effect of tectonic layering within the surface of the work and nothing's quite sitting on the same plane despite it being you know from evidence of the photographs a very flat painting um and this is kind of again just moving on to another gallery straight across melbourne all the way down to uh just off chapel street station gallery um and Michelle Assa at Station Gallery has an exhibition of, again, paintings and ceramics. So she kind of ties the ideas in Stephen's, Stephen McLaughlin's gallery uh, by Elson Van Rood with David Ray's trickster ceramic works together. And she produces both ceramics and painting. Um, but what's also interesting is that the whole exhibition is about myth-making. It surrounds uh, the myth of Merlin kind of being entrapped within the lake or the tree stump, depending on which, um, which, which myth you adhere to. But also this idea of myth-making being, uh, being communal, being group, being a part of the, the zeitgeist, if you will. 
kind of a dirty word. I shouldn't. It's not even ten o'clock, and I'm throwing out like guys. It's, <laughs> so there's a sound collaboration with composer Hugh Hallam uh, and soprano singer Federica Cunningham, as well as crochet by Judith, Judith Osser. And the exhibition's titled "Is It Your Body I Hold in My Arms or the Sea?" And that question is a great premise from which to, which to view the exhibition, particularly the painted works, because the painted works, if uh, as you approach them, they do appear to be these, you know, these very quickly slapdash but beautifully composed um, collection of marks and and really gestural uh, paint making techniques, swirls of the brushes and upstrokes and uh, nice layering. But at the same time, she's also hidden within them these faces and characters. There's a lot of humour in it as well. One of my favourite works on paper, I think it was, is the bottom half of a nude male, and he's holding... You look like you're smirking. Are you looking at it online right now? Not yet, but I, uh, I'm just smiling at the idea of your description, <laughs> the bottom half of a nude male. Well, I'm glad my description's sufficing here on radio. So the bottom half of a nude male, and in, his, in one of his hands, he's holding like a loose... Uh, kind of drape of material which is perfectly mirrored in some of her ceramic works but inside that loose drape of material is two pieces of fruit whether they're oranges or apples but that that mirroring of um of uh this trying to be diplomatic of the sack if you will with its uh with its counterance <laughs> you can see samples uh, in, of the works that Ace is talking about by Michelle Usher, uh, such as the current work, which is called Balls, um, at stationgallery.com.au. Yeah, so at the one time, speaking of this kind of formless language and, and serious uh, myth-making and stories and heritage and tradition, but also, you know, quite a lot of humour is injected there. It's taken with a grain of salt at the same time. And, you know, quite a few creative friends brought along for the ride, Hugh Hallam, Frederick. Cunningham and of course Judith Osser um, but those moving from those painted works onto the ceramics what's beautiful about the ceramics which I'll get to uh, David Ray in a second is uh, is just same as the painting it's just how tangential they are how how kind of removed how kind of uh, unpracticed they seem to be yet of course it's a highly sophisticated um, art form and process to to go through in firing the clay and making sure it doesn't explode and clay is a very fickle medium well just getting the glazes right for example my goodness to ensure that you've got the colors you want or the the layering of color if you're trying Mm. to go for a slightly translucent effect and then there's so many effects in the actual physical form of of clay uh and any kind of earthenware which which can deem it it may just at any stage during the process combust and destroy itself so hats off to it it's um it's a very well composed series of works uh, combination of works and the collaboration as well really ties it all together David Ray, as mentioning with uh, Michelle Osser, has used a very similar technique in using what appears to be these offcuts. And um, oh, I should mention David Ray is at Anna Pappas Gallery. Uh, these offcuts and kind of uh, small portions, perhaps the scraps that you would throw away after, uh, after actually making something, quote, serious, end quote, um, and he's kind of speaking of that language of serious sculpture. All the, all the miniatures appear to be on plinths or on stages. They're all kind of performing and in classical poses, arms up, crouching, growling. Uh, but their, their form is anything but. Their form is, uh, is, is very fragile, kind of comical in a way that they're so grand and yet... Um, you know, apparently clumsily made. And he's even taken that idea through with the glazes, and some of them are almost clown-like and harlequin with different pieces and and patterns being painted in different colours. And again, that achieves this, as I mentioned, with uh, Ansel's collage-like effect on the surface of the painting. Um, David Ray achieves this within the sculpture, uh, even though, of course, it's, it's not collage at all. Yes. Uh, so, so three interlinked exhibitions at three different galleries. Whether they meant to or not. But yeah. it's, it's definitely an interesting idea, this um, kind of pushing provisionality into, into these very formal constructs and frameworks to make work, whether it's ceramics or painting. And I'm keen to see more of it and just how far it goes. And it's not something that's, uh, that, that is entirely new, but it is something that's definitely having a bit of a, 
a surgeons at the moment. Don't want to say resurgence. It's always been around, right? A surgeon. Is that, a surgeon. Is that a real word? Yeah, I'm just dropping the RE. Yeah. <laughs> so the three exhibitions that Ace was talking about are Anselm Van Rood's Colour, Light and Silence at Stephen McLaughlin Gallery, which is level 8, room 16 of the mm. Nicholas Building on Swanson Street. That's on until uh, the uh, 16th. 16th of May. Yeah, just over two weeks. Then we head over to Station Gallery in... Um, Alice Street. Where the hell is Alice Street? Just off Chapel Street. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Ellis Street. Ellis, yeah. Yes. E-double-L-I-S. Yep. So, uh, Station Gallery and the work of Michelle Usher? Usher. Yep. And yep. that's on until the 23rd of May. And uh, that's the ceramic and paintings referencing uh, the myth of Merlin, amongst other things. And then David Ray's ceramic works, which are on at Anna Pappas Gallery, uh, also in South Yarra. Yeah, yep, yeah, just around the corner. Uh, and uh, so that's anapappasgallery.com, uh, stationgallery.com.au and stephenmclaughlingallery.com.au for more info. And we should give a shout-out to Ty Snaith. We absolutely should. Who uh, your erstwhile bus bus projects had uh, a, a suite of shows open last night. There was Lelia Lewis uh, to Dream of Home, Grace Wood with her show Moving On Slash Up, which I really like the title on Moving Up or Moving On Moving On Up. Uh, Zoe Knight Grounded, Gian Millick with White Facing. And Ty Snaith, of course. Well done. Congratulations last night. And I'm sorry I couldn't be there. I was working until quite late with Portrait of a Sunday Painter. And it's a fantastic premise uh, that she's created this, uh, this, this character who essentially doesn't exist. And again, tying into Michelle Usser's myth-making with, with a community, asked many other artists to, to produce the work of this fictional artist, this Sunday painter, Georgia DeViv. Uh, there's a whole suite of events and happenings that uh, are going to coincide with this exhibition, so definitely look up bus projects online to, to see dates and times for those. Irene Hennenberg is having an opening tomorrow night at Caves, which is one of Melbourne's newest spaces. Suite 18, level 6 in the Nicholas Building again, just on the corner of... Flinders Lane and Swanson. <laughs> Flinders Lane. I always say Little Collins, but Flinders Lane. 37 Swanson Street. Um, but you can pop along today, I think, if they're, if they're open before the exhibition. You know what? Just pop along to the opening tomorrow night at 6pm. And... Uh, Fort Delta is having an opening tonight of ben Benjamin Lichtenstein's new body of work titled Flower, uh, and that's on until May the 23rd. So plenty to go and see. We're starting to get into the time of the year where the uh, the closing dates are, there's, there's a bit of a shift variation. So um, definitely make sure you check what's on and when, as uh, all the calories are out of sync now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to give a quick plug to a book being launched tomorrow night by me. Uh, it's called Sculptures of Melbourne. It's by an old friend of mine, Mark Holsworth. It's uh, very much a labour of love and a mm. detailed exploration of the sculptures of Melbourne from the uh, Victorian uh, era through to much more contemporary present-day works. The exhibition itself, uh, sorry, the exhibition, the, the launch itself is on tomorrow night at Gallery 1-3 in the CBD from 6pm. So I'll be making some uh, some opening remarks, I think, is the, oh, fantastic. the appropriate Mark is, is a fantastic Melbourne local commentator as well. He's been writing about Melbourne, the Melbourne art scene for... Over a decade, I think, now. Yeah, so Easily. Uh, his blog is melbourneartcritic.com mm. for more information about him. Uh, and Sculptures of Melbourne is published by, um, <laughs> I think, Melbourne Books. But uh, Melbourne books. I'll double-check. Um, Ace, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been it's been a really fun, busy couple of weeks with visual arts in Melbourne. Sounds like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll catch you in a fortnight's time. See you then.
Now, my next guest joins me in the studio. Jared Veltri is the artistic director of Functional, who are originally a dance theatre company, but have since uh, embraced other art forms uh, such as theatre and film to work with young people to explore issues around conflict, social justice, but also to promote ideas around well-being and uh, and sustainability in the environment as well, I understand. So you've been keeping yourselves busy. Yeah, we have. Hello. Thank you for having us. Uh, my very great pleasure. So, Jared, one of the most recent projects that uh, you, your mob have been up to, um, you went up to up to Mildura. Yeah, Mildura is a little country town for people who don't know. Um, not on that the, little. Not that little. Look, it, it is. It's a beautiful place. It's on the corner of Victoria, um, up where a lot of the food and um, vegetables, the fresh fruit and vegetables is grown in Victoria. And we've had the privilege of working in the community for the last five years. And we've been doing arts projects with young people in the community. Now, when Mildura turns up in the news occasionally, it's often because there are uh, issues around, we hear about ice addiction, we hear about unemployment, and we hear about some entrenched issues there. Is that one, are those kind of social issues one of the reasons that Functional went to Mildura in the first place to say, well, if there are issues there, let's try and turn them around and let's engage and work with the young people in a, in a way that takes them outside of those horror stories that we hear about and focuses them their energies elsewhere. We had the pl- privilege of um, working with elders in the community, so school principals, local police, uh, local council, local arts groups, Arts Mildura, and they were a reference group of people who discussed with us what kind of arts projects we would deliver each year. So in the first year we made a theatre show where we took young people from several of the colleges and um, brought them together to make a theatre piece. And then the next year we made a uh, a CD of music from young people from the area. And what was really exciting about the project is is that the young people from different colleges didn't necessarily have very much to do with each other. And so the the young people got a chance to to cross fertilize their skills and their community circles and and become a rich source of um, support for each other in the community. Uh, the reference group of elders and um, who supported the project were able to be there and support the young people beyond the scope of when we were in the city, in the town of Mildura and the Greater Mildura area working with the young people. So, for instance, the school counsellor at Redcliffe Secondary College uh, would be able to support the young people who are participating in our arts activities after we left. The young people did a combination of telling stories that they were passionate about, creating art, music, theatre, dance that they were passionate about, and also referencing it to things that were going on in their community and beyond their community. And we were always flying up really amazing um, Australian artists in the peak of their career and who are really good at working with young people. The films that we've ended up making with these young people, uh, which is what I'm here to talk about today, um, are amazing because... They're they're not fiction and they're not um, documentary. They're kind of what we we're, we're we're calling it faction. <laughs> so, so you've created a fusion, a new art form. Yeah, almost. well, look, I'm I'm sure it's been done before, thousands of times <laughs> before. There's an Italian documentary I went and saw um, at the Kino, um, which was about a group of prisoners who'd made a who'd made a version of a Shakespearean tale on film and um, so it, it isn't a new style but to have young people write scripts over the course of a year and then star in those films and those films to be shot on broadcast quality equipment with professionals in the industry that were supporting young people to be in front of the camera and behind the camera what we've created is these broadcast quality professional films that have been written by young people and they're stories that are slightly different to the ones that are created by a group of people who normally get together who are paid to create the films and the stuff we see every day and we're used to watching. And what's really nice about these films is they look beautiful, they are amazing, gorgeous stories that are very accessible, but also they don't have people on camera who we normally necessarily see on camera. You know, they're not people who are trained to be on camera. And it's it's this wonderful project where we're getting original stories from from Mildura 
in a way that we're used to accessing media and, ex- and seeing images. You know, we're, we're, as a society, when we went into making this project, we just became so aware as an arts company that we, as a society, are used to digesting and seeing very high-quality film production in everything. You know, and if anything's longer than five minutes, it better be really good or we're not watching. You know, and these films are great. They're between 15 and 20 minutes long, each film. There's three of them. And one of them's actually gone to Cannes, to the uh, film festival over there and been part of the short film corner. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. Which is certainly a sign, a a testament of the quality of the work that's been created. Beyond the quality of the films themselves, one of the things I'm also imagining for you is a more important outcome, though, not apart going to... Obviously, a film going to Cannes is great, but in terms of a a longer-term outcome, knowing that the the skills development that you have helped instil amongst the, the community of young young people up in Mildura and perhaps inspiring further explorations in other art forms, not just film but in dance and so on, that must be a, a wonderful kind of thing to be able to take away from an engagement of this nature. It's been really, it's been such a privilege. We started working with some of the young people when they were 15 and now they're 20 or we started working with them when they were 17 and now they're 22, 23 or whatever it is and it, it's been amazing watching them grow and become leaders in their community for the next generation and we've actually had the uh, privilege of being able to pay a couple of them to be part of our group that then goes and teaches workshops in other areas including Robin Vale just down the road and in other parts of Australia and one of the young people from um, the project Philip Murray has gone on to become an unearthed winner um, on another radio station <laughs> which we don't need to mention but he's a famous rapper now <laughs> which is amazing you yeah. know and, and that's that's an amazing outcome and, and when you talk about um, the what people normally uh, associate with Mildura it is a, a town that has an incredible rich tapestry of cultures um, which include indigenous which include um, uh, second generation European farming families um, uh, uh, um, Anglo-Saxon and also um, Asian and also Polynesian families who who a lot of the times are families who work really hard seasonally working the, the farms there. So it's it's got um, a rich tapestry of people and it's got poverty and it's also got um, a lot of wealth. Yeah. And, and, and as a result, you have all those um, country town issues that are very current in the media and what's great is when you get a cross-section of young people working together, they're able to create a dialogue around these issues which is really interesting and when they're creating art together, they're dialoguing around these issues in a way and finding solutions and support structures and mechanisms for themselves beyond the issues, which we're well, really excited by. One of the things that excited me when I was uh, offered the uh, the opportunity to, to do this interview was uh, I, part of my, my brain just went, how often do we get to hear stories from young people in Mildura? Can, and how often do we get to hear them telling their own stories as opposed to a narrative that's been placed over the top of them and, and that they're somehow being forced to play a part in for, for good or ill and I just thought what a fantastic opportunity to hear um, uh, certainly in, in terms of the three films that are being shown at ACME uh, coming up in May uh, the opportunity for them to tell their own stories to a Melbourne audience uh, to, to, to essentially break the existing narrative and to start a new one Yeah look um, the three films are amazing the first one um, Ankle Breakers is a bunch of boys wanted to make a basketball film so there was a bunch of boys who right from three or four or even five years ago said oh we'll we'll do a theatre show with you Jared and with Functional and and we'll be part of making some music but we really just want to make a basketball film and we're like oh okay and they'd turn up to these dance workshops and these theatre workshops holding basketballs (laughs) because they're obsessed (laughs) with basketball and um, they ended up making a basketball film we ended up spending literally weeks um, sitting in a basketball kind of um, office area next to the basketball stadium where we wrote the scripts with them and they said, oh, this should happen and this should happen. And then, they, of course, they all start in the film and it's, it's, the, it's the story of the ragtag basketball team from the wrong side of the tracks who, who do good and get into the basketball grand finals. But what's amazing also is that the local Mildura basketball coach, um, Jumpin' Joe Hurst, who's actually an American basketball basketballer who came and decided to live in Mildura 
Um, he plays the coach in the films. He's got all these Australian accents and all these boys who are kind of doing bad things but then trying to get together and play basketball together but they're so kind of in conflict with each other they keep stuffing it up. But then you've got this amazing kind of basketball coach with a thick American accent and it makes it, you know, the the genre of sports movies in basketball films is really well, it's, it's it's established. It's, it's kind of yeah. We we know the tropes. We we I can guess already at the story arc exactly. that we're going to see. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. there's a sporting montage at some point, a training montage or yeah. something. But the fact that kind of again that narrative is being retold by kind of uh, young people from culturally diverse backgrounds living in Mildura is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's been it was it's a really fun film, and it's got those those stereotypes like the blocker who's this big you know six foot eight guy who's just stands there and is this wall which they can't get past to put the ball in the hole but um, of course you know he was actually just the guy who plays for the local basketball team Mildura Heat you know so he's just he, he they volunteered their time to come out and help the boys make the film and the film looks great the, the film that I'm one of the ones that intrigues me of the three you mentioned we were talking about the this factional uh, kind of genre before of fact and, and fiction combined for Stacy, which is uh, a film about the lives of three young high school girls, one of whom is recently bereaved. Um, this, to me, sounds like something that is clearly drawing from real experiences and real stories and then turning that into drama as a way to explore those people's stories and to let them tell their stories in a way that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be themselves on camera. They can be someone else. Yeah, look, it's, it was such a privilege working with those young women. Um, they were so brave. They... They wanted to make a film, the young women who we worked with wanted to make a film about high school drama, girls, bullying, stuff. And then we were working with some of the school counsellors and health professionals in the area, and what they said to us was that it would be good to have a film or even just an, an ad that would discuss the issue of suicide because it's an important issue that... Australian society is facing and we want to be able to talk about this issue with our young people and with with the community and basically say that if you're feeling suicidal then there are people you can talk to there are people here who want to support you and you do not need to go there um the the girls in the film ended up making a film about a group of girls who make a suicide pact on Facebook and then don't go through with it. And I'm sorry to have to spoil the film and tell you that, but the film is so rich and so amazing and so engaging. I'm not f- spoiling it to tell you that. Um, what I am telling you is that the girls have made a very brave film that explores the issue but that it ends in a very safe place. Um, w- without spoiling the film any more than I already have, (laughs) I have to tell you that one of my favourite moments in the movie is after they... After they go to the edge, you know, of um, of this suicide pact and, and really go to quite a scary place, um, when we were writing the films, we are like, well, well, they nearly commit suicide. You know, they go to the edge of a cliff to jump off a cliff and then they decide not to. What do the girls do next? How do, how do we go away from there? And the girls said, oh, that's really easy. I said, well, what do they do? Oh, they go and lie on a trampoline and look up at the stars together. And we're like, that's such a beautiful image. And there's no way an adult would have come up with that idea. There's no way a group of paid professionals sitting around in a room writing a story of of what teenagers do would have come up with that. And we're so proud of the young people who have made that film and told that story. Look, uh, just quickly, we should uh, mention the final film as well, Picking the Musical, which is set in a a family-run vineyard. So we've got grape pickers. uh, (laughs) And it's a... I just love the fact that it's great picking and it's a musical that's mashing up opera, rap, hip-hop and bangra yeah. kind of uh, to tell a, uh, a community story, a family story, um, a generational story. Absolutely. It, it's um, it's a very delicious film. Um, uh, if anyone's seen Black Cat, White, White Cat, um, think that. That was one of our inspirations for that film. The teenagers came up to us and said, oh, we thought, it, you know, because when you're picking on the block, you know, picking grapes on the on the grape farm, which is called The Block, um, every, you know, people sometimes sing. And we were thinking, why not, a, why not a musical amongst the grapes, picking the musical? And so it's this story of the, um, the grandfather who plays tune for the grapes, to, just to help them grow. 
You know, he's quite magical. But father, father's very obsessed with trying to make a living and the farm's going broke. And the two daughters who are teenagers are kind of on their own journey. Mother's a little bit disconnected and on her own journey. And the little eight-year-old boy is obsessed with filming. And so what he does is he's documenting everything all the time. And um, when things turn out bad, the little eight-year-old brings everyone together using the power of the power of music and helping everyone to remember what's beautiful about the family and and it's a it's a gorgeous little off-the-wall film that went to Cannes and has been doing really well and has been requested in other film festivals around the world. So these three films, Picking the Musical, For Stacey and Ankle Breakers, are screening at ACME, uh, created uh, by the young people of Mildura with uh, facilitation from Functional, uh, of which uh, my guest, uh, Jared Veltri, is artistic director. So the screening at ACME, there are three screenings on Saturday the 2nd, Saturday the 16th, and Saturday the 30th of May. Uh, the, f- the 16th and the 30th are screening at 4pm. The Saturday the 2nd of May is screening slightly earlier at 3.45, because there's a Q&A afterwards hosted by Wesley Enoch, the artistic director of Queensland Theatre Company and probably one of the busiest men in Australia. <laughs> um, every time I see Wes, he's like, uh, oh, I'm doing this today and then I'm flying there to do that tomorrow. It's, he's a, he's a, a, a madman, but a delightful one. He's been so generous with us and and the um, the launch on the 2nd of May at 3.45 is going to be amazing because it's going to be um, opened by Noel Tovey, who has just received, received an Order of Australia. He's most famous for his... Um, autobiography little black bastard yeah he's yes. been a guest on this show before he's um, amazing he's an yeah. amazing man yeah. and uh, uh and there'll be a panel afterwards um on the 2nd of may with people from mildura so two elders are coming down um uncle peter peterson will be coming down and um joe hurst the basketball player and there'll be young people morgan appleby and philip murray will be on a panel discussing the films with the filmmakers so that's happening on at the first of the th- three screenings of of uh, the functionals calling the shots uh, at ACME on the 2nd of May at 3.45. And for more information, uh, just Google ACME calling the shots and uh, it'll take you straight to the ACME webpage rather than me trying to give out the full, long, complicated URL. Um, And for more information about Functional and what they get up to, you can go to www.functional, that's P-H-U-N-K-T-I-O-N-A-L, functional.org.au. Jared Veltry, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. My next guest joins me in the studio now. Philip Hayden is the director of a new theatre festival in Melbourne called Poppy Seed, which was launched last night at uh, Bella Union at Trades Hall. Philip, doesn't Melbourne have enough festivals? <laughs> right, perfect question. Let's get straight in there. Um, yeah, we've had this one before, and in fact, on the first opening sort of info night we had about the festival, I kind of opened with that gambit. It was like, you know, Melbourne is amazing, it's renowned for its festivals. There's pretty much probably three weeks in the year when there isn't some form of festival going on, and in fact even that's probably wrong. But the short answer is yes, we think we absolutely need one more festival and it's because we're a little bit different from the others. We're specifically aimed at independent um, theatre makers, uh, specifically really emerging and mid-career people um, because we look we love it's put together by a passionate team and we really love um, the independent theatre scene in Melbourne which is by the way astonishing um, I wasn't born here um, I moved here from London seven years ago and I absolutely love the passion and patronage surrounding independent theatre in Melbourne it's amazing um, so myself and the, the rest of the team and I really am you know, it's great fun for me that I get to talk about it but I really do represent a superb team. Um, we we really wanted to to help artists um, gain skills, um, stay in the industry, um, have access to funds and resources because there's some big stumbling blocks for artists to be able to basically keep doing what they do. Um, and so we put our heads together and came up with a, a, a new theatre festival format, which we hope goes a long way to helping artists uh, create brilliant work. Yeah. 
Now, the festival itself isn't until much later in the year, running Correct. from the 9th of November yes. until the 13th of December, yes. across uh, a trio of venues, Trades Hall, the Butterfly Club and 45 Downstairs. Brilliant venues, yeah. But you launched last night and you're encouraging people to make submissions to the festival. So Absolutely. what kind of submissions are you looking for? Okay, there is no artistic rationale on what you submit to the festival at all. It just must be a live theatre event. That is it. Oh, and fit in one of those three brilliant venues um, and what you get as a, a, a sort of participant in the festival uh, the big carrot and this will have independent theatre makers all over the, the city dropping their coffee mugs um, is you get money you get money up front to spend on your show you get um, basically us on board as a co-producer you get marketing support um, publicity support and then at the end of the day when the festival's over and everything's been reconciled with you know everyone's had five star reviews and completely sold out their shows um, the festival itself recoups costs no more and that, that threshold is very low. And then all the money that's left over gets distributed equally amongst all of the shows that form part of the festival. So it's a massive... Um incentive to get involved um, and to be a part of it. Now, when you say that people will get money, how much are we talking about? Yeah, seven and a half K. Nice. Yeah, you get seven and a hard seven and a half thousand dollars hard cash. Some of that, and we're really proud of this, has to be spent on artist fees. You cannot brush over that. But on top of that, you get given our venue, which is worth about five thousand dollars for the two weeks at least, actually. You then get given probably the best publicist in town, TS Publicity, are amazing. They um, promote um, the really big festivals um, in the city and now us. Um, and you get co-production and marketing support. So the whole package is worth a heck of a lot more. But you get hard cash at the start and then you will, you know, as I say, of course we're all going to get five-star reviews and sell out, so you will get money at the end as well. <laughs> the uh, journalist in me immediately wants to know where is the money coming from? How are you, you and your team, yeah. funding this project? Yeah, the absolutely wonderful city of Melbourne. They have just been brilliant. They've funded this for the next three years. I tell you what though, we are looking for sponsors so we can increase the level of support that we give. If you think this sounds like something you'd love to sponsor and get involved with, please let us know. poppyseed.net.au Now in terms of the actual application, people can go to poppyseed.net.au, the website uh, you just mentioned, uh, so that they uh, they have the list of everything that they need for this submission, which you're asking people people to submit as a PDF document, everything yes. together in one document, yeah. uh, and that includes things like a script or a treatment, the team you have so far, biographies yeah. and headshots, yeah. a blurb on why you think your project should be selected for the Poppy Seed Festival, yeah. and more, including notes about a marketing strategy and so forth, yeah. which luckily is only 200 words rather than yeah. 2,000. Um, yeah. Now, you've said that, yes, Melbourne has a thriving independent theatre scene. This yeah. is very true. Yeah. What Are you expecting any particular kind of work or hoping to encourage any particular kind of work? You've already said there'll be no thematic requirements, yeah. but given that the budget involved, uh, the finances that involved and the yeah. venues involved, yeah. that will, to a degree, perhaps shape the kinds of works that are coming in. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, look, I haven't... Melbourne, the independent theatre scene in Melbourne always surprises me and I think we will get the full spectrum. I think we will get new works, devised works, so people will be pitching a concept. I think we will get people coming with um, scripts in their back pocket um, of, of a, say a famous author that they want to do that might be uh, a first run here or, or, or maybe not but maybe the first run outside of a main stage um, theatre company. I think we'll get everything and we've already had some fantastic conversations from you know great artists w- wishing to submit projects but i do want to say as well you do not even though this is aimed at um, <clears throat> emerging and mid-career artists, you don't have to have your complete team when you're filling out the submission. You can have oh, like three out of five of the core members and we will assist you to, to, to complete your team. We really do want to where possible help excuse me, co-produce. So, yeah, so if you are not... If you are, say, an artist that's been in the the industry for a long time, maybe you're an actor with a profile or 
Um, you've been around for, for 10 years, um, but you don't have a theatre company around you, you can apply. We want to hear from you. We want to help you create work. Now, there will be a team of industry professionals uh, on the artistic panel who will then be selecting the works from the submissions that are made. Yeah. Uh, that includes uh, Emma Valente from The Rabble, yep. um, Alexander Woolard from Butterfly Club, yep. Andy Turner from 45 Downstairs, and yep. more. Uh, and yeah, they're, they're a pretty intimidating bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, the fact that you've got everybody from uh, the MTC and Opera Australia there through yep. to the Butterfly Club and Malthouse um, and, and MKA. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're brilliant. They are great. The first meeting we had with the artistic panel, it was wonderful. There's the, myself, and I'm only one of three festival directors. We're all sat there and we've all pitched and we're all really hoping that they're going to be our artistic panel because we really love these people and what they do. And, um, yeah, there's the, some of those questions that came up in that first meeting, you know, when they were like, well, what is this festival? How exactly is it going to work? Have been so useful. So uh, uh, before they put you through your paces in the application process, trust me, they they put us through our paces. <laughs> the Poppy Seed Festival is a new independent theatre festival for Melbourne running uh, later in the year from the 9th of November to the 13th of December. And as you've heard, they're looking for submissions from Melbourne independent theatre artists to make work, whether it's new work, devised work, uh, that script from uh, of, a, of a classic 1930s Australian play that you've always wanted to do and have never had the opportunity to do so. Maybe this is your opportunity. You get seven and a half grand to put it on so uh, it i think it's going to hopefully stimulate some uh, some as you say some new work but also perhaps get really that opportunity for people to just go i've always wanted to do x absolutely absolutely and um uh, scott in particular scott major one of uh, the festival directors is really clear on that he talks about that really well like if you've got a passion project that you've always wanted to do but lack the resources to get it realized well come to us because we want to help for more information about the Poppy Seed Festival, uh, you can go to poppyseed.net.au. You'll find details there about how to apply, what you need to include in your submission, why indeed uh, uh, applying is a good idea. There are three venues that will be presenting work for the Poppy Seed Festivals from November to December. Trades Hall, the Butterfly Club and 45 Downstairs, all great places to stage work. Uh, and uh, in terms of... The long-term outcome of this, Philip, what impact do you hope this will have on Melbourne's already vibrant independent theatre scene? Yeah, great. Okay, well, for the festival itself, look, we would love to... Uh, there's so many great festivals in Melbourne, and we would love to be embraced by not just the artistic community, but the theatre-going community as well, and to rival the, the huge festivals that we already host in terms of recognition and patronage. It would be great if Poppy Seed was a byword for quality. Everything in there is just absolute quality. We're showcasing the best emerging and mid-career artists in the independent sector. That would be great. As I said, uh, if you are an independent theatre practitioner and all of this intrigues you, go to poppyseed.net.au for more info about how you can get involved and uh, how you can perhaps stage that dream project you've always wanted to put on. Philip Hayden, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. We're going to talk double bills. Now, earlier in the show, we talked a dance double bill that is being presented by Taz Dance, and which is on at uh, the Alexander Theatre in Clayton. That was called Luminous Flux. Now we're going to find out about a theatrical double bill presented by Here Theatre at La Mama in the La Mama Courthouse in Drummond Street, Carlton. Bright, shiny and green night. And before we go any further, as always, when La Mama is mentioned, I need to declare my conflict of interest. I'm on the Committee of Management at La Mama. I do not benefit financially from my involvement. Therefore, I don't really think it's that much of a conflict of interest for me to talk about La Mama shows and breathe. Okay, Jane Woolard joins me in the studio now to talk about Bright, Shiny and Green Knight, two new plays by Kit Lazarou, which, uh, Jane, you're directing. Yes, that's right, Richard. 
So uh, why a double bill? Well, Bright Shiny was, was a play that Kit and I developed as part of a enormous and rather hopeful, dreamy theatre project called the Bauer Theatre Project, which we worked on with a, a group of um, theatre practitioners and environmental um, educator and some architects. And the proposal was to create a temporary carbon-neutral theatre on the banks of the Yarra. And so we were um, pitching it to the Melbourne Festival and then we went to the Arts Centre and it was looking hopeful and then it didn't happen. It was this enormous project. And the proposal was to create a carbon neutral theatre um, called the Bower and to, for it to be like a Bower where we, we bring offerings um, as the Bower bird does to decorate it for short plays. And um, so Kit was developed this play as, as one of the, the proposed works for this dream theatre which never happened. So in a way, Bright Shiny is like the thing that is left when the Bower bird has gone and the Bower <laughs> has been demolished and, and here is this gorgeous little gem of a play one-act play of about an hour long. And which, I guess, the story you've just told us says a lot, perhaps, about the ambitions and hopes of theatre makers and versus what you sometimes end up with. There's the grand scale that is dreamed yeah. and then sometimes the reality of how a work is presented. But just the fact that the work is, despite the setbacks and you, what you yeah. hope for, it's still being staged, so albeit possibly in slightly different circumstances. That's right, and, and things happen in ways that you can never anticipate and, and you can set out with all the goodwill and vision and desire for for change and to create something that's where theatre speaks to in you know, issues of ecology and environment and climate change in a in a joyful and poetic way um, but the project you know was so kind of burdened by the costs associated ironically um, even though it was a you know supposed to be constructed from disposed materials repurposed materials however bright shiny lives on and it had a development um, through the art center as part of the underground readings in the spiegel tent rather unusually and so it needed a companion play and the companion play is green knight it was originally called green knight underfoot and now it's been um, shortened to just green knight and this was a play that kit had worked upon on since um, I think in 2005 she went to East Timor and she heard the tinkling of the coral under the water and wrote these fragments of play because there was a lot also in the media about the, the loss of coral reefs and um, also she was on a beach where there were finger-shaped bones of coral watch, washed up and the Timorese called that beach the, the beach of the ancestors or the grandmothers. And so um, from these uh, fragments of play she constructed Green Knight, which um, is a story of a woman who ends up journeying inside herself because polyps of coral are disco discovered in her abdomen. So both plays are set in the future when um, the oceans are dead wastelands um, and there are just pockets of wildness left where the last animals um, cling on to their existence. So in Bright Shiny, um, a series of uh, four workers who work in a very large um, department store, which I probably won't... Uh, a hardware, hardware store, store, which I won't name on air. Let's just say they do sausage sizzles. They do eh? sausage sizzles. <laughs> um, there's sort of green and red theme happening. So these four workers in Bunnings... Um, oh, you just said it. Oh, crikey. <laughs> we had a dress rehearsal last night, so I'm really tired. It's fine. Um, it's fine. So there so we are. So they're working to companion the last animals. They're sort of working as underground activists to look after these very last animals animals before they disappear into extinction. So two really quite intriguing ideas uh, and which again talk to me about the not just um, ideas about the future and ideas about what's possible to stage in theatre as well but just which which speak at such a deep rich imaginative level. Yeah, well, Kit's writing... I mean, I've directed a number of her plays and her writing always takes us into very unusual and surprising worlds. She has the most extraordinary imagination and it's wonderful to dive in there and find ways to realise the worlds that she suggests. So these little um, portals where where the characters go through into sort of snow domes, little last remnant habitats. And so Catherine Sproul, our designer, who's based in Adelaide... 
but she's come over to work with us, has created this rather rich and extremely material um, design where we're working with all sorts of elements. It's quite unusual for La Mama because... Uh, we've completely transformed the courthouse. Um, I think people will be quite astonished when they see what it looks like. Um, there are very large set elements. There's the use of some puppets and masks because um, the actors have to play animals. So there's, there's a lot of visual um, and also sonic richness in both the works. And so rather than um, accepting that in the independent scene, when you're working with no funds, therefore we have to accept the black box and we'll just use light and we'll, you know, we'll just make it sing with the barest essentials. We've actually gone the other way and created something that's very detailed and rich and I think pleasurable for the audience because for me um, it's very important as a director to try and weave in all, all the elements of theatre that we yeah. have available to tell the story. Now, Jane, given that Bright Shiny was originally envisaged as uh, with a set and objects made out of repurposed and mm. recycled materials. Has that kind of vision been sustained for its div- its presentation at the La Mama Courthouse? As much as we can, mainly with the costumes, which have all come from savers. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of scrounging, a lot of reusing stuff that we already have. There's been a lot of repurposing from previous sets and, and props and stuff that we've used in other shows. Um, inevitably, we've had to purchase some um, elements to create some of Catherine's um, set elements, yeah. Yeah. Um, And I notice also that one of the other members of the creative team is one of my favourite Melbourne lighting designers, Richard Vabre. Yes, and and Richard's um, lighting design is, you know, very delightful and rich and full of colour and uh, wonderful shadow work and so on, yeah. I mean, it's a a team that I've worked with over some years, you know, where there's a real sense of shared vocab and performance language. And so Kit and I, last night, were already talking about the next project. Let's just carry (laughs) on, you know, and make another work with this team because it's just been... It's been such a joy and the last work that we made together was four years ago at 45 Downstairs and um, I think with the task of, of both Kit and I raising families and um, earning a living and, you know, as you get a bit older, time becomes the most precious resource and so we don't just pop out the shows anymore. They don't just go boop, 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 you know. There's there's this whole um, considered assembling of resources and people and gathering the the resource of time how are we going to achieve this and um, it has been just a real joy to be back in the room with these peers and have that sense of work as play again now as as director it often strikes you that in some ways a director is like a chef you've got all those ingredients all those different theatrical ingredients some Mm. of them are people some of them are plot elements some of them are the the script and Mm. trying to work with and you're trying to or, or maybe you're like a cocktail maker you're trying to get that right blend and balance of of flavors and textures and and tones and find the right judicious blend because if one thing is slightly off it it throws everything else out of whack which is certainly the case in cooking in cocktail making and in theater yeah well it's interesting you use that word judicious judicious because i use that in my director's notes actually because i i really love ariane manushkin's description of the director as a more artisanal person you know it's not this idea of the director who comes in with their godlike vision and stamps it on the work so that everyone knows who directed it. I suppose I've always worked more from the point of view of working with your given circumstances and who you have and what everyone brings to the work. But Manushkin speaks about the director as midwife, actually. So the baby, she doesn't just stand there and watch the baby come out all by itself. She's not the woman giving birth. She's not the father. But she's there to say, push now or stop, don't do that or breathe, you know, and and in a sense um, that's what I very much felt my role to be um, in this production. But obviously the element of vision and interpretation comes into it because um, Kit has a very particular um, vision and worldview in her work, a very particular turn of phrase in the text, and so it's my job to, I suppose, make that manifest. And which, again, the the midwife analogy is a beautiful one then because uh, the you're helping bring something into the world as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, something we haven't seen before and we may not see its like again, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, this is something uh, about 
the that I love about the independent theatre sector, as you said, the the constraints of, of budgets and of space and time and so on are all things that impact on independent theatre. Mm. But it never seems to really constrain uh, the ambitious vision and imagination of independent theatre, whether it's people evoking an entire world in a black box and just encouraging us to imagine the world that is being mm. staged, even though we can't see it, or in this instance, staging a world and creating a world that we mm. can see through set and prop and lighting and design and costume and so forth. Um, independent theatre really is a remarkable play box to be able to, to work in and just to have all those things that you can pull in and I use the word play box because that to me evokes the the analogy of childhood and the imagination the unfettered imagination of childhood there really are parallels with that and the the craft of independent theatre making yeah you're so right and it's so powerful and it's actually you know I've had moments in the last few weeks when I watch everyone I stand back and I see Kath the designer and Richard and some of the actors you know they're working on you know this moment with the whale how are we going to salt because there's a whale and there's an ocean and and just the the sense of these experienced minds this astonishing cast more Davy, Glynis Angel, Tom Considine, Fanny Hanusen and Nicholas Cato you know all the sense of um, combined brain power and imagination to solve the challenge of how can we make this manifest in the space it, you know it's very um, you know we have to de- declare too we there's no financial gain um, in terms of what we're doing but it comes out of this delight in the shared imagination. Bright Shiny and Green Knight, uh, two plays by Kit Lazarou, presented by Here Theatre at the La Mama Courthouse, 349 Drummond Street, Carlton, uh, opening tonight and then running through until the 10th of May. More information at www.lamama.com.au, where you can also purchase tickets or you can uh, uh, book tickets by calling 93476142. So lamama.com.au. Bright, shiny and green night, the production, opening tonight and running through until the 10th of May. Jane Willard, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Uh, It's time for me to go. Many thanks for the pleasure of your company. Uh, I will be back next Thursday between 9am and midday with more arts, news and conversations, uh, including the uh, artistic director of the New Zealand Dance Company, who I'm looking forward to chatting to. Catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Smart Arts Podcast. You can listen to Smart Arts every Thursday morning from 9am to 12pm here on Triple R. This podcast was produced by Nabila Petrucci.